time for Wednesday's hour number two on Hashtag Daily K with your host, Peter Bint. Korean dramas, movies and even lyrics. Why is the world paying attention to Korean stories? From classics to modern masterpieces, time to dig deep into the charms of Korean literature. On Check It Out with Paul. It's a Wednesday and that means that Paul comes into the studio to teach us all about Korean literature in the most informative of ways. How are we doing, Paul? I'm doing well. Happy, happy holiday. Happy Buddha's birthday. Oh, yes, it is indeed a day off for most people out there in the country. Do you celebrate Buddha's birthday in any particular fashion? I sing the song to him. Oh, um, nice. I <laughs> enjoy it. He does. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not Buddhist, but I love Buddha's birthday because I think it's one of the most inclusive religious holidays in the world. Mm. So happy Buddha's birthday to everybody out there. It doesn't matter if you're Buddhist or not. Just celebrate a beautiful day of peace and love and happiness. That sounds like a brilliant message for any day of the week. Uh, what is the literary masterpiece that we're going to be looking at today for Buddha's birthday? Well, because it's a special day, I wanted to bring in a really special book. I've been looking forward to introducing this book for the last two months, oh. ever since I read it. Wow! It only came out in English in January of this year. Mm-hmm. Um, I read it uh, back in March, okay. and it's one of my favourite books of the year so far. It's called My Brilliant Life, Dugun Dugun Nein Seng, and oh. it's by Kim Eran, translated by Cheon Kim, and it is wonderful. Uh, if you're a movie fan, mm-hmm. and if you like Kang Dong Won or Song Hye Kyo, you may be familiar with the film uh-huh. uh, that was adapted from the book back in 2014. Okay. But we're going to focus on the book today, and it's a really beautiful story. It's all about a very special teenager who's making it his very short life's mission to tell the story of his parents' life and basically to help his parents live. Okay, I love the Korean title, Dugun Dugun Inseng, Neinseng. Yeah. Dugun Dugun is that onomatopoeia that you use for when you're excited to it. Like a drum roll, please, right? Uh, yeah, or like a heartbeat. Uh-huh. Ba-bum, Fantastic. Uh, the teenager's very short life highlighting their parents' life. So tell us a bit about the author. Uh, this is Kim Aran, born in Incheon in 1980. Uh, we actually covered her before last year in October with the short story Knife Marks, ah. for which she won the Lee Hyo Sok Literary Award. Okay. She's actually the youngest person ever to win it back in 2008. Uh, what's interesting uh, is that she started off not in novels, but in playwriting. She okay. studied playwriting at the Korea National University of the Arts, um, but she has uh, written many short stories, many novels. She's won... Uh, many awards, including the Desan Literary Award back in 2003, and then in 2005, the Hanguk Ilbo Literary Award. Uh, she was the, actually the youngest writer to win that one as well. And she won the Isang Literary Award in 2013. This book, this brilliant book, was actually first published in Korean a decade ago. Okay, and you've so, just recently read it for the first time. Well, it was in, recently in translated into English for the first time. So we've been waiting a decade to get it into English. It's finally here, and it is brilliant. Fantastic. And talking about fantastic awards, Paul, from this, uh, from last week, do you remember, we started giving away the TTMIK 
vouchers. Talk to me in Korean. Tutumik. Indeedy. So for our listeners out there today who are checking us out, write in messages and you could win that voucher. It's for three months premium membership. Wow. And then you'll get some amazing videos. I think even a video of me might be on there. Sneaky, cheeky. Can I get one? You could get one, yeah. I could just maybe Photoshop your face onto my body. No, no, I mean the prize. Oh, no, you can't. That would be totally unethical. We've got that award. I wanted to ask you, Kimeran plays and then into novels. Is that a similar thing, do you think, as a play person yourself? Like writing a play, writing a novel, are they very different? Uh, well, sure, the writing styles are different, but at the same time, all you're doing is telling a story. Mm-hmm. And storytelling is universal. So I think, I think, yes, they are different because with plays, you're focusing more on the dialogue mm. and the stage directions, whereas in novels, you're also focusing on a lot of description. Ah. Um, but yeah, I think anybody can switch between the two, and I find it fascinating that not many do. Yeah. Uh, I think it, it requires a certain talent, like myself or Kim Aran, for example. Of course, yes. <laughs> Uh, thinking about that, William Shakespeare, wasn't it all plays with him, no novels perhaps? All plays and poems, oh, no novels. Rubbish, yeah, he couldn't switch between well, the two. Let's face it, people <laughs> weren't reading that much back in the 1500s. Yeah, just watching on stage. The translator, we've covered a good few times. Uh, yeah, Chiang Kim is amazing. Uh, last time we covered her on the show was The the Starlet and the Spy. Before that, we've had The Good Son, The Hen Who Dreams She Could Fly, Please Look After Mum, The Things you can see only when you slow down she is absolutely wonderful she's award-winning she's based in los angeles Uh, it started off as a hobby when she was a lawyer um, and now she's become a professional literary translator she's translated over a dozen books from korean to english some of the big hitters uh, like please look after mum which was an international bestseller that was one of our first wasn't it Uh, yeah and i have to say if her name is on the cover as the translator you know you're going to get a great translation. You're in safe hands. A seal of approval, so to speak. Fantastic. Uh, You mentioned earlier on, so this is the son telling the story of his parents, and you mentioned a short life. Do you mean he's only lived a little while or he's not going to live much longer? Well, I'm sorry to say it's the latter. He has a particular illness uh, that means his life is going to be cut short but that doesn't mean he's not living a fulfilling life in fact the title my brilliant life tells us a lot about him ah is that not necessarily all to do with his parents oh no 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 it's it's his life and his parents life but he loves his parents so so much and in fact he's a bit like a father to his own parents in some ways oh that's interesting that's maybe something i could relate to my mum being korean And when she came to England, didn't speak too much English. You yeah. know, she used to rely on me from about the age of five or six, sometimes when we're out and about. And she used to say that, not that I was her father, but that if she didn't have me, it would be a real struggle in life. And Actually, it could have been easier. Yeah, probably. Yeah, without <laughs> me running around causing havoc and chaos. So we're going to start towards the uh, beginning of the book. Uh, well, this is actually in the middle. It's when a documentary is being made about his life. And we get to find out about him and also the disease he's suffering from. Progeria is a fatal rare disease that makes children age prematurely. There are about 150 reported cases worldwide, 
with very few cases in Korea. Adam has a high risk of heart attack and various complications. Recently, he lost sight in one eye due to macular degeneration. The doctors urge hospitalization, but that is economically impossible for Adam's family right now. What kind of thoughts did you have during your long years of treatment? Uh, I had the feeling that I was alone. Oh? Uh, not like my parents left me by myself and I felt lonely. It's just that when I'm sick, I feel completely alone. Have you ever blamed God for this? Can I speak frankly? Of course. I'm not sure. About what? Whether a complete being can understand an incomplete one. I think it's impossible. I haven't prayed to God because I don't think he would understand. checking out a few of the posters for that it looks like star-studded cars but it's definitely gonna be a tearjerker after that first reading yeah look this is this is a book that makes you cry and i have to say i cried uh -huh. i then when i was when i was researching it for the show when yep. i was typing up my script yeah i cried again oh because it's so brilliant it's it, it is a tearjerker of a book but it's one of those books that when you finish it you feel really warm inside okay you feel like Oh, I have I have become a better person for reading this. So through that first reading, we found out about the son. The story is about the son making a story of his parents' life, right? Yeah, he wants to document his parents' life because they're not they're not anybody special in terms of the wide world, but uh -huh. they're really special to him. And, and we hear through that first reading that they're not particularly well off. They can't afford to put him in hospital, even though he needs it because this aging disease that he's got. Yeah, progeria, which is a real disease. It's a very, very rare disease. But basically, if you've ever seen those photos of children who look like their grandpas or grandmas, mm. that's what the disease is. Your body sort of ages really, really rapidly, far more rapidly than it should. There was this program on in the UK. I wonder if you could recall the title if I describe it to you. It's on like maybe Saturday mornings or Friday mornings, you know, weekend morning ch children's TV about interesting things from across the globe. And I distinctly remember, I must have been about six or seven, and they did a little like four minute clip on this girl who was only 11 or 12, but yeah, looked like a grandmother. Her fingers, her knuckles were all swollen, looked like she had rheumatism and stuff yeah. like that. She was playing the piano. And I was just amazed, like taken aback that that was a thing. And, and she did look, you know, she was making the most of her life, like trying to live it to the fullest. And she looked very happy. It was just like, wow, that kind of thing exists out there. It made me uh, really kind of think for weeks about it. And it's still in my head. I can remember the TV screen. Yeah. yeah and, and I think if you read this book, it will stick in your head for a very long time, too. OK, so Aram, he seems like when he's answering these questions in this. So in the book, it's a documentary that's being filmed on Aram. Yeah, there's a moment where he thinks he can get some money ah. to help his parents by doing this documentary. Okay, and he seems like, I, I, you say he's a teenager, right? But he seems still like very level-headed, a bit philosophical, but not happy, of course, a bit melancholy. Yeah, well, he is happy a lot, but when he's sick, he feels alone and he mm -hmm. feels sad. And he knows he doesn't have long left. 
He's 16, and normally children with his condition have already passed away at that age. Oh, really? Uh, okay. Yeah. Um, uh, he's got the body of an 80-year-old, basically. He's mm-hmm. a grandpa, 16-year-old. Um, but he is very happy to talk to us. He is the narrator of the book, and he tells us about his family. His mum and dad, uh, Mira and Desu, they actually met in high school. Okay. And the things got a bit complicated because Mira got pregnant at the age of 16. Uh-oh. <laughs> and his dad dropped out of high school, and they got married, and mm-hmm. they were really nervous about being parents, and they did everything they could for their kid. However, you know, he was born, everything seems fine. He turned two, and something was wrong, uh-huh. and he was diagnosed with progeria. And now he's 16, and he loves his parents. He gets on really well with them because he doesn't have any other friends. Sure. uh, Apart from a 60-year-old grandpa named Little Grandpa Jang, who's a lot older than him and who scolds him for being a teenager. (laughs) And yet he treats him like a fellow grandpa. What an interesting relationship. So he doesn't go to school, Aaron? No, he can't. He can't. His condition doesn't allow him to. And... He decides at the start of the book, I'm going to write the story of my parents' lives for them. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to finish it by my 17th birthday. I'm going to give it to them. Oh, what a nice thing that he's doing. That's like his project, right? Uh, yeah, he, it's sort of his way of giving back. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he does, he, he does seem to act like a father to his father, especially. Mm. He comforts him and talks to him and explains things to him. Because after his all, his, uh, his, his father never graduated from high school. He was only 16 when he was born. Oh, that's an interesting look at this tale, isn't it? They, his parents maybe stopped growing up the normal way. At uh, at the same age that he is, uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I love I love this that, that he's sort of his life, uh, his length of life mm-hmm. is the length of his parents' life when he was born. Yeah, it's a really poetic uh, way to to situate this. Okay, and so he's he's thinking a lot. He's philosophizing. He's asking himself why he was born this way. And because he spends so much time alone, because he doesn't go to school, he ends up asking himself lots of questions and he writes down his thoughts as he's writing down this story of his parents. All right, and that gets us right on to the second excerpt. I continued to write. Why does a child always looked like a child, no matter how old he is. A sudden thought flashed through my head. Maybe that was why people had children, to relive the life they don't remember. That made sense. Nobody remembered their early years. You couldn't remember anything that happened to you from before you were three or four. So you wanted to experience it through your child. You were retracing those years, saying to yourself, Oh, I must have nursed like that. Oh, I guess I held my head up on my own at this age. Oh, I must have looked at my mum like that. You were able to see yourself in a way you were unable to before. You became a child again by becoming a parent. That had to be why people had children. What did my parents see through my experience then? Me, who started to age rapidly at the age of two. That led me to yet another question. Why did God make me the way I am? (sighs) 
I haven't been able to figure that one out yet. What a deep-thinking young man, and so interesting. Even though I've got a couple of these little nippers, I've not really thought about parenting that way, mm. like reliving your younger years. Yeah. And I definitely consciously haven't done what he was saying, like, oh, I must have done that to my mum. But I think subconsciously you're going through those motions, like vicariously looking at your kids. Yeah, you are your parents' children. You can't help it. You are reliving your parents' lives in many ways. Yeah, it's, it's such an interesting way of looking at things. And I definitely agree with something he said that, yeah, you become a child again. Again, by being a parent. Yeah. So, of course, your job is to be responsible and, you know, set certain boundaries, but you do get caught up in it sometimes and you do become, in some ways, just a little immature child. Like some of the spats I have with my kids, mm. I'm like the eight year old him. I'm just completely saying, no, it was your fault. No, I don't like you, like that kind of thing. So it's yeah. the good and the bad. I love it. Uh, yeah, but also you get to discover play again. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm really lucky is that my job as an actor is playing all day. Yeah. And I feel like I haven't lost that. But I know many people when they get into adulthood and they're stuck in an office job. Sure. They lose the chance to play. Absolutely. And it's one of the most wonderful things in the world. And so when you become a parent... To be able to play with your children is just so beautiful. Yeah, you're right. That is the biggest perk, I feel. So through his writings as well, he's maybe focusing on himself, but also learning a lot about his parents' perspective. He is. He's, he's trying to understand them. He's trying to help them. And, you know, and they were so young when they had him as well. And as I said before, he's like this almost father figure, especially to his father. Mm. But his health is getting worse and his hospital bills are piling up. And Uh-oh. so... He agrees to appear in this TV documentary. And at the same time, he's got frustrated and he deletes the whole story he wrote about his parents. Oh, no. Yeah. So, but he does the documentary. He gets money. So things are going a little bit better. But then the weird thing is people are donating money after the documentary, but also people are writing to him. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, he's getting emails. And he gets one in particular from a 16-year-old girl with cancer called Soha. And at first, he doesn't want to message her back. He's reluctant. Mm. But then they start to form this online friendship. And he's been so apart from other kids. He's never had any real friends. It's the first time for him, even, even though it's not in person. And she comforts him the way that she writes to him, the way that she talks to him. And he's inspired to start writing his parents' story again. Uh But then the crushing blow comes when he finds out she's not real. What? She's actually a middle-aged male screenplay writer who's trying to get inspiration for his script idea about a teenage couple with terminal illnesses. That's awful. It is. And his condition worsens. He he manages to sort of escape by playing video games Mm -hmm. and going into the video game world. But he's exhausted. He's stuck in hospital. Winter sets in. He's getting weaker and weaker and weaker. And he asks his father to print out the book. He says, don't read it. Just Uh print it out. He's finished. Yeah. Okay. And his father checks his computer and he finds an email from this girl from Soha. Mm -hmm. And even though she's not real, he gets his father to help him write to her. To okay. write her back. He knows that it's not, not real. But at the same time, she's done so much for him uh-huh. in that short time. And he knows that the end is coming. Uh-huh. And he spends his final moments with his mum and dad. And they've actually been hiding a secret for him, but he knows. The secret is, well, his mum's pregnant. <gasps> Goodness. And he asks to touch his mum's belly. Oh. And that way, he says, she can tell 
his baby brother or sister, mm-hmm. that its older brother put his hand on its head. Oh. And he's on his deathbed, and his final words to his parents at the very end of the book are, I'm going to miss you. Oh, goodness, this really is a tearjerker, isn't it? I'm in London. I'm in Australia. Tokyo. The Philippines. Finland. Indonesia. New York. Arirang Radio. Radio. Now live in Seoul. I was moved as I read these posts. I never liked the word understanding. But these kind words, offered by strangers from all over, made me choke up. We all clung to being understood, even while resisting it, knowing that it was ridiculous. What made us that way? Why did people try so hard to convey the emotion they felt? Why were some people willing to give a part of themselves in a world where nothing was free? As I scanned these posts, I felt slightly less alone. This is towards the very end of his time. This is still the teenager's perspective, the whole... The uh, whole yeah, this is, this is him getting these messages after the documentary and for the first time in his life having these strangers contact him and making him feel connected with the world in a way he's never been. It's a story about loneliness, but it's mm-hmm. also a story about friendship and family. And a lot of those posts and messages, they are from genuine people. It's just that one that he gets very close to that's a a screenplay writer. Uh, But again, there is a genuine connection. Uh She may not be real. She may be a middle-aged man. But at the same time, she changes his life and she gives him hope. Sure. So maybe the effect is what's important rather than the origin of those messages. I think that's a deep question that will become more and more uh, important in society with like AI and technology and getting comfort from, you know, something that's not even sentient in that way. Look, Peter... Yeah. Didn't you have a teddy bear as a kid? I did indeed. I know I've still got my comfort blanket. That was my thing. It's called a Nunu. Yeah, your Nunu, your Mm -hmm. teddy bear, whatever it may have been. We've all had that thing where an object can actually be more precious than a person to us. And that's okay. It's what gives us comfort in life because at the end of the day, we're... We're all just trying to survive. Fantastic. And we've got a lot of uh, interaction, a lot of messages on the Insta stream at the moment. Tropic Girl saying, ageing is a bit of a hell and you almost become obsolete. Forgive the analogy, but it's like a uh, vintage vehicle, sometimes unkept and often left to rot as well. Uh, look, it is true, but again, ageing can also be like a fine wine. Mm. I think we, we have to approach ageing the way we want to age. And that can be a very scary thing sometimes. You know, we talk about uh, aging gracefully or aging disgracefully. (laughs) Sure. Um, But yeah, I I do know what you mean. Sometimes as we get older, we feel left behind. But I think there are new things to discover. Absolutely. Uh, L. Timmons says, we're happy to have our first now because we have an excuse to watch all the kids' movies. Ah, yes. Uh, Look, (laughs) I I have to say, uh, 
Peter, he posted on, on social media a, a couple of days ago about watching a certain film on the flicks. Yes. Um, uh, and he watched it. I, you watched it because you have kids. Yes, absolutely. Uh, I don't have kids. I watched it. I loved it too. It was brilliant, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, we, we're all allowed to watch the silly stuff. It's okay. Yeah. The Mitchells versus the Machines, a shout out, because that's one of my favorite films I've watched in the past, I don't know, a couple of years. Um, and Tropic Girl K also saying, I love the play part, getting down on the ground, hide and seek with the kids. It's all those things. that yeah maybe if you don't have kids or nephews or nieces or you don't work with kids you just don't do anymore right and it's such a shame playing is one of the best things in the world mm -hmm. and as an adult if you can discover play again you suddenly go why did i stop absolutely this is brilliant yeah i want to continue until my kids are in university i feel they'll be getting embarrassed by me you just need to say come on come <laughs> on with the grandkids give me some grandkids yes please but maybe not too early <laughs> uh, so this story looking at those connections online for yeah. this boy well it's 2021 we're mm -hmm. all online at the moment so i think we can relate but it got me thinking because this month is family month mm -hmm. you know we've had parents day we've had children's day and it made me think about families in korea and i mean i don't have kids but i'm very privileged to be a member of my wife's family and i've got some great nieces and nephews oh i bet they love uncle paul Uh, they do. They don't see me very often, but when uh -huh. they do, I cause chaos. <laughs> um, but I've experienced those ups and downs mm -hmm. sort of on the side. I've seen my wife's brothers and sisters and how they've interacted with their children. Sure. And it struck me how different it is to the UK, or certainly how different it was to my childhood, ah. that especially the physical closeness mm. of Korean families. Now, yeah. I, I don't know about for you and your family, mm -hmm. but for my family, the parents and children sleeping together. Sleeping in the same bed, for example, yeah, is such a common thing. Not and, for your family, as in your British family when you were growing up. No, I'm talking right? about my Korean <laughs> okay. family. Yes, yes, um, absolutely. Because uh, the last time I slept in the same bed as my parents, I think it was about four or five. Maybe, they've had a nightmare. Maybe sick or something as well with a yeah. cold. Yeah, <laughs> but but that would never happen normally. And yet, when we go, we go on a little family vacation. You know, we rent a little pension out somewhere on Daebudo, for example, on that island. Mm -hmm. Um. the family will sleep together. Yes. They'll all sleep in one big bundle and it's all perfectly natural and I find that fascinating and lovely. Yeah, it's interesting. Co-sleeping, you know, has been frowned upon a lot in the West. You know, they say the kids won't get independent and they say, especially at a very young age, it's dangerous because you could roll over the baby sure. and stuff like this. But here in Asian cultures, it's a very different thing. Like having a cot, is a very Western thing even here. I mean, lots of babies now do it, and I do advise that maybe at a young age. But kids in elementary school, like even in the upper grades, are still sleeping together with their parents, maybe like a massive four-person bed just on the floor. Yeah, and I think, it's, I think it's a lovely thing to have that intimacy, that closeness. And you see it at the dining table too. Mm -hmm. I mean, as soon as I could hold a spoon, that was it. I was on my own. <laughs> I was feeding myself, and if I didn't feed myself, I'd go hungry. Absolutely. Whereas my Korean family, you know, it's kids, are very much being treated at the table and say, you know, the spoons are out, the forks are out, the chopsticks are out. They're being, they've had things shoved in their mouths. Yeah, you making keep sure they're eating. Making the meat. <laughs> and it, it just, it got me thinking about how wonderful family is in Korea. Family is wonderful all over the world, but I think this month in particular, and because it's a national holiday, it's a day to spend with family. Yes. 
Absolutely yeah. beautiful stuff. Uh, thank you, as ever, Paul, for coming in with this reading. Uh, thanks, as always, to the Literature Translation Institute of Korea for their help with copyright permission for this broadcast. Thank you to Kim Aran for her beautiful writing, to Chiang Kim for her excellent translation. I will be back next week with another book. It may not be Buddha's birthday, but we will be celebrating literature. All right, Paul. Thank you very much. See you next week. Goodbye. You can listen to Check It Out with Paul Matthews on Adidang Radio's Hashtag Daily K every Wednesday from 10am KST.